Welcome to The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm your host, Dan Paletta. A year has passed now since former Ohio Speaker of the House Larry Householder and four allies were arrested on racketeering charges in what investigators say was a $61 million bribery scheme to elect Householder to the Speaker position and then pass House Bill 6, which provided a billion-dollar bailout to four nuclear energy and coal-fired plants to continue operating and to defend that law against a ballot initiative to block it. Much has happened since that time. Here to bring us up to date is Dan Shingler, who covers the worlds of energy, automotive, and steel for Cranes. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Sure, Dan. Nice to be here. So Ohio's had a lot of political scandals over the years. You think back to the early 70s, the Crofter scandal, 2006, there was Coingate. Is this the biggest one we've ever had? Uh, by far the biggest. Um, but you only have to go back three years before this to have another speaker that resigned. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, I, I, um, I, I've been doing this a long time, more, more decades than I, I, I care to admit. And this is probably one of the only stories that, you know, it's like, I remember where I was when, when I heard this. And, and I also remember my, my jaw dropping. Um, and it was, and it was on the heels of, you know, the whole House Bill 6 controversy. There were all, there was all of this dark money involved. We had these ads saying the Chinese were going to take over our, our power grid. I mean, it had already gotten weird way, way before this. And then the feds come in and basically, you know, say the Speaker of the House has orchestrated the, the largest bribery scandal in the, in the state's history. It, it, it was shocking, Dan. I mean, it still is. It was shocking when it, when it broke. So let's go back to that year after Householder and these other men who were arrested. What's the immediate reaction in political circles, especially for those members of the House and Senate who voted for the bill? Were they looking for political cover? Were they defending Householder? What happened? The, the first thing that, that seemed to happen was that, that everybody seemed like they were kind of turning on him. Um, I mean, the head of the Republican Party and the governor were immediately calling for uh, Householder to resign. And, uh, and he was pretty quickly stripped of his uh, post uh, as Speaker of the House after that, too. Um, then, then things kind of died down on, on that front. There was still talk of, of removing him. And, of course, that eventually happened, but it, but it took a, a long time. Um, but we did fairly immediately after the scandal broke. We, we had a lot of uh, demands and, and plans for um, House Bill 6 to, to be repealed. You know, there was this basic, seemed to be a, a, a somewhat unanimous feeling that, okay, th- th- this law was, was passed on a, you know, not a fair play basis. It's, it's tainted. Um, it, it, it can't really be left to stand. Um, and it seemed like it was going to be repealed rather quickly, but that didn't happen either. I mean, it eventually happened, but that took you know al- almost a year before that happened. Um, so, so yeah, a lot of a lot of people kind of withdrew in, in into bunkers. Um, you know, of course, you've got partisanship here, and and the householder was a Republican, so now you've got the Democrats who were, were probably clamoring a little bit more for repeal of the bill than the Republicans, and and not quite as in in the bunker mentality. But yeah, then things kind of slowed down as they often do in the state house and it's it's taken some time for for things to um unwind the way that they have but we've we've had a lot of drama along the way (laughs) we certainly have as the scope of this scandal increases more and more information starts coming out we start to hear more about first energy and their involvement as well as the chairperson of the puco what do we start to learn as more and more things unfold um well i i think we still have some stuff to learn 
But initially, Chuck Jones, who had been the, the CEO of, of First Energy when this whole uh, uh, scandal broke and when the alleged bribes were uh, being, being paid, he, he started out, you know, he was, he was hanging on, he was defending the company, kind of saying, be patient, more facts will, will come out. Um, but, but that didn't last long. The, they, they, they started their internal review at, at First Energy, and, and pretty soon after that, he was gone. He was let go. And, you know, it's not often you see a, a big public company just actually fire a CEO. Um, but they made no bonds about it, that, that he was fired, as were some of his lieutenants immediately. And, and then pretty soon after that, I mean, they, they even got rid of their chief legal and, and ethics officers, which, which to me kind of leads you to believe that they were pretty worried, if not panicked about this and found some pretty deep rooted problems. And then you had, um, you know, we got a new another FBI raid uh, of the, the chair of the Ohio uh, Public Utilities Commission, Sam, Sam Randazzo. Um, that 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 happened and, and he stepped down pretty quickly. Um, so so it. It, it seems as though the tentacles from this run far and deep. Speaker of the House Householder ended up uh, losing his post. He did lose his post. Yeah, it took 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 a year, and 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 he vowed to fight it. Uh, he he did have he did have some some allies in the in the state house, but I mean, ultimately, I just just think this was this was just too much to bear, and and he couldn't get get anywhere near the amount of defense that he needed to to keep his seat. So, so he's gone, and you know, there, there's there's been a lot made. I, I, I believe, uh, I think, Householder himself has, has brought this up in his defense. You know, he was actually reelected after the, the the charges were made and after he was stripped of his his speakership. Um, but there is one caveat there: while he was reelected, he runs in a very Republican district. And there was nobody else on the ballot, so I'm not sure how hard how hard that was to win that election. If 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 the the, the Democrats or probably even some Republican challengers had had uh, more time to prepare, we, we might have seen a different outcome. But but who knows, right? I mean, you can never guess with politics. Crane's Cleveland Business would like to invite you to join us for our next virtual event on the 2021 calendar. Cranes will pay tribute to the top HR experts across five categories. Our Excellence in HR event will also take place virtually, free to attend on August 18th. Visit cranescleveland.com today and select the Events tab to register. Let's talk a little bit about Neil Clark, who was one of the state's most powerful lobbyists. He was one of the men arrested in this scandal. He puts together this tell-all book that was published, but it was posthumously as he committed suicide in March. And I realize it comes from his perspective, but how much new information or information did he reveal in the book about this particular scandal? Uh, well, I haven't read the book, so I'm I'm, I'm okay. going to be um, a, a little a little uh, guarded on on that because I'm going to talk about a book that I haven't read. But you know, he I've, I've seen excerpts of it, as I'm sure you have as well. Um, he he makes some pretty damning charges against First Energy. I I, I believe it's reported that that he said that. Um, you know, he'd never encountered a, a corporation that owned as many politicians as, as First Energy. Um, I, I, I have spoken to lobbyists who have told me that, that, that coming from Neil Clark, that's really saying something. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I think probably there would have been a whole lot of questions for, for Mr. Clark to answer if, if he were still around. And um, I mean, it's sad that, that he took his own life, obviously it's sad whenever that happens, but, but also sad because I, I, I think he probably had 
some answers that a lot of people in the state are going to wish that they, they had had. Do you think that's the most shocking thing that's come from this entire scandal? I mean, here's – it just it just it seems so odd that he's ready to publish it. And we can never explain suicide, of course, but he's ready to publish this book and you know, sort of try to clear himself. And then all of a sudden he takes his own life. Yeah, I mean, I, I was it was you know kind of the ultimate last word, right? I mean, he yeah. writes a book and and then uh, doesn't have to comment on it. But I I, I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to try to get into someone's state of mind that that would be in you know position where they would they would do that. Um, you know, what has become of House Bill Six? Was it completely repealed? Uh, it was kind of sort of repealed. Um, you know, one of the one of the biggest problems with House Bill Six was, like a lot of pieces of legislation, you know, it, it didn't just do one thing. You know, if 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 all it had done was provide a, a subsidy to the the nuclear plants, probably rescinding it would have would have been, you know, pretty a pretty easy decision. Um, but it but it went well beyond that. Um, it it also uh, subsidized some coal plants. Um, but probably more importantly, um, it House Bill Six wiped out the state's renewable energy mandates, which were a, a, a big prop for the state's wind and, and solar uh, industries. And what you ended up with was kind of this fight between fossil fuels and renewable fuels interest. And of course, that plays out perfectly along partisan lines. So you ended up with with Republicans versus Democrats on on that front, um, because you know, had they done away with House Bill Six in its entirety, then Ohio's renewable energy standards would have come back into force, um, which of course was what Democrats wanted, but not at all what Republicans wanted. So what we kind of ended up with was this kind of weird mixed bag in a repeal that the governor signed at the end of March. Uh, I believe it went into effect 90 days after that. Um, and it, it, it did away with the nuclear subsidies. It, it also took away from First Energy something called a decoupling provision. Um, and what that is is more or less a, a guarantee of, of profits if, if demand for electricity goes down. Um, you know, they would they'd say, well, we still deserve this amount of, of, of profits and it would have guaranteed that. So so that was that was taken away from them. Um, but the renewable standards were, were not put back. So so those were left uh, taken away, as House Bill six did. And the coal subsidies, which is, just seems kind of so weird. Right. I mean, in this day and age, but the coal subsidies were left in place. Even though of the two plants, one of them's not even in Ohio. I mean, it's owned by some some people in Ohio, but but it's 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 a plant in in Indiana that that Ohio ratepayers are 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 still subsidizing. And there there was there was I I don't want to completely say that the legislature just ignored renewable. There was a twenty million subsidy in there, twenty million dollar subsidy in the the, the new legislation uh, that goes for six uh, solar projects. Uh, but overall, the renewable people in the state, particularly the wind energy people in the state, they're, they're, they're not too happy about, about how it was repealed. They, they would have rather seen it repealed in, in whole. But we obviously have a, a GOP-controlled legislature still, and it's probably not too surprising that they won that fight. Let's talk about this coal thing for one more minute. I read an interesting comment from a spokesperson from Duke Energy, who's one of the part owners of the coal plants. She said, in many respects, 
this is an insurance policy, this, this subsidy to mitigate or offset the risk of unknown, unpredictable, unexpected costs. Now, what I hear from consumer groups and from ratepayers, they say, A, you want to keep a coal plant alive that may or may not be making money, but B, isn't that your business? If you have unpredictable or unexpected costs, isn't that on you, the company? Why, why would ratepayers have to pay for that? Shouldn't you plan for that? Uh, I, I, I think there are a lot of people who, who would agree with you. Um, then there are other people who would say, well, utilities are asked to keep you know, a certain amount of power generation in place just to make sure the grid is stable or in a worst case scenario when, when other sources of electricity aren't available. But um, but ultimately, yeah, yeah I, I, I think you're right. It's it's kind of picking winners and losers. Um, and, you know, ironically, supported by a party that always claims that it doesn't think government should ever pick winners and losers. And, and that that is what it, it does to a large degree. And and, um, and I think you could also just make an argument that, you know, the, the market is moving on from coal. Um, and, and even in Ohio, you've got natural gas folks that, that aren't real happy that coal's being subsidized. I mean, they, they, they see their, their form of energy as the, you know, the automobile driving the buggy whip out of business. And they don't see any reason why the buggy whip ought to be subsidized when they've got a, a cheaper, cleaning, cleaner burning fuel. But, you know, political interest being what they are, you're, you're, you're always going to see some, some noise and it results in stuff like this. If you take the corruption scandal out of it, which I realize sounds ridiculous, <laughs> how do you like to play? But other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Um, right. And you hear from companies, from power companies, they say, you know, the, the, the landscape has changed. When we were doing this 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we were told you're going to have this, this customer base and you're supposed to take care of them and you're going to get to charge a certain rate and you have mm -hmm. to build this infrastructure. And then when deregulation came, all of a sudden they said, well, you guys changed the playing field on us. Well, and, and, you know, First Energy is probably as, as, as guilty as any company of, of kind of playing this both ways because they were, you know, a leading voice in the move for Ohio to deregulate its electric industry years ago, which the state largely did. And then they've basically come back after this and said, well, we want to be a regulated utility again. Um, and, and a lot of that is, is because the, the landscape has just changed so much because of natural gas and, and, and fracking. I mean, if you go back, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, you know, no one would have predicted that, that natural gas was going to come to the forefront as a, a source of power for generation plants the way that it has. And in, and in fact, we, we actually had tried to, to move to natural gas as a generation fuel, um, I think back in, in, in the 90s. And very quickly, the price of natural gas shot up and everybody said, oh, oh bad idea. We're never doing that again. Let's go back to coal. But, you know, it's, it's really difficult for, for either regulators, consumer advocates or, or, the elect, or the power companies themselves to predict, you know, what, what's going to be the fuel 20 years from now. And, and even now, I mean, you know. Maybe it'll be cold fusion in ten years. We we don't we don't know. So there, there's some of that going on. So it's fair to say that this case is far from over. What's next? Ooh. Um, well, we 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 still haven't had householder go to trial, and that is supposedly going to happen next year. Um, and I mean, who knows what's going to come out of that? He he is he is still fighting it, saying uh, you know he's innocent. He's pled not guilty, but. Uh, his his co-defendants have, have all pled guilty and are co apparently cooperating with, with prosecutors. So, you know, that, that 
this could get even more interesting, right? I mean, because who who knows what's going to come out in in court? Um, we, we don't know what's going to going to happen with with First Energy. Um, you know, while while Chuck Jones and a lot of other people have been fired there, no one's been charged there, um, and the, the company's reportedly negotiating with prosecutors. You know, on on some sort of agreement on deferred prosecution, which usually means or has meant often in the past that you know no one goes to jail, but the company pays fines and faces sanctions and signs agreements and things like that. But we don't know what's going to happen with, with First Energy yet. Um, we don't even know what's going to happen with the nuclear plants, which to me is, is perhaps the most ironic thing about all this. I mean, that was the whole point of this was supposedly, you know, these nuclear plants that em- employ, you know, a, a thousand or two thousand people in, in Perry and, and near Toledo. And they've lost their subsidies. So 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 what happens there? We don't really hear much on that anymore. And, and now they're owned by a new company, Energy Harbor, which spun out of the bankruptcy of First Energy Solutions, the subsidiary of First. You can see how this gets pretty convoluted, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but Energy Harbor, they just announced, I think it was just last week, that they've got an agreement where they're going to sell power from the nuclear plants to a company in Coshocton that's running a cryptocurrency mining operation, which is you know notorious for, for using large amounts of electricity. But there were no details. I mean, we don't even know if there's anybody mining in that facility. So, you know, it, it could be no power or maybe they're taking all the plant's power. I, I highly doubt it's the latter. But, you know, we don't know. Are, are those are those plants profitable? They were we were told they weren't profitable, but they're still there and they're still marketing and they're selling their electricity and we haven't seen the books. So there, there's a lot of questions left to be answered here. Let's add in one more thing. Carl Icahn, the, the noted financier and investor, has now acquired the rights to have two seats on the First Energy Board. What do you make of that? Well, I make that 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 he wants to have some influence over First Energy, and he sees some value there if he changes a few things. But we don't know we don't know what those things are yet. They've talked about uh, exploring some divestitures. Sometimes when someone like Icon comes aboard, the divestiture ends up being the whole company. Who knows? But he does have he does have a few. Um, I may be misusing the term standstill agreement here, but but he does have some agreements with First Energy that if he got his board members and they got voting rights, you know, he would not form his own executive committee, which is usually what's done when, when someone wants to put a company like that into play for a possible acquisition, and that he would vote uh, in favor of, of what the, the board put up for a vote by directors. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. But, but I, I think just about anybody would tell you that you know, Carl Icahn doesn't go into a big position and certainly doesn't do it with fanfare and noise because he doesn't want to take action and just wants the status quo to, to remain in place. That that that's that that I would bet on. So at the end of the day, what do we take away as we move forward into this next year? Do you ever see the movie Burn After Reading? Yes. Okay. You, you, you know, you know, you know. At the very end, where the where the white guy says, "What did we learn?" Yeah. <laughs> and, and the other guy, oh, I'll paraphrase, but it's like, "Damn, if I know, I don't even know what we did." <laughs> exactly. Um, that 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 that's kind of how how this 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 reminds me of. We've probably learned, or or maybe we 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 should have learned that we probably need some sort of campaign finance and dark money reform in in Columbus. Uh, I mean, li- literally. Two speakers of the House in, what, less than four years stepped down over 
lobbying scandals. That 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 probably should send a signal that that maybe we need to take a look at this. And I think you could argue that dark money, um, the anonymity that comes with it, was a big reason that that this all could even happen in the first place. Um, you know, if you were funneling money around with people's names attached to it, I I I, I think there would have been a lot more care taken that it was done, you know, on, on the up and up. But, but once, once you end up with money that's anonymous and can't be traced to anybody, I, I, I think a lot of people would argue that you just, you invite uh, shenanigans, Dan, and, 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 and we got some. So I, I, I don't know. There's, there's, there's still some hope that we'll see some, some reform in the state house. There's certainly been some, some call for it. Um, there were some bills introduced in May but we haven't heard a lot on them lately. So fingers crossed, I guess. We'll look forward to an update.